Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn games of all time. And guys, we got a big one today. Uh, it, it almost makes me feel really old to just speak this sentence out loud, but we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the Fiesta Bowl, uh, UConn football's big uh, you know, New Year's Day matchup against Oklahoma way back on January 1st, 2011. Um, really a remarkable just fact that UConn football played in the Fiesta Bowl, especially given, frankly, all the not great things that have happened to the program ever since. Uh, this really was a high watermark for UConn football uh, and kind of the culmination of what was really an awesome four-year run for the program. They made you know, four uh, bowl games. They won two conference championships. You know, They had to overcome the whole tragedy uh, that was Jasper Howard's death uh, in 2009. And you know that season obviously included the epic win over Notre Dame, which is a, certainly a podcast that we'll get to at some point another time and uh you know this was just a lot of fun just um first of all just reminiscing about this game and just thinking back to just how you know where UConn athletics was and where UConn football was and you know kind of where I was personally and where these guys who were a part of this game were um so anyway uh this is a this is going to be the longest episode in yes UConn history by a lot uh we have uh, two guests today uh so we're going to start off by talking to former UConn wide receiver Kashif Moore uh, who played a major role in this game. Um, he was kind of the emotional heart of the game where he uh, donned Jasper Howard's number six. Uh, it was the first time anybody had worn number six since Jasper died. And, um, you know, he's obviously a you know super great guy. Uh, he's now currently the uh, wide receivers coach at Wesleyan uh, in Connecticut. So he's still, you know, still involved in the game, uh, doing well. It was really great to catch up with him. Uh, I uh, covered him in this season for the Daily Campus, and he was one of my favorite guys to talk to back then. So it was awesome catching up with him. And then uh, after we uh, talked to uh, Kashif, we also uh, have Colin McDonough, my old uh, Daily Campus running mate. He and I uh, just kind of shoot the breeze about this game and reminisce and get all nostalgic. So should hopefully be some good stuff. Uh, dive super deep into this game. So uh, we're going to keep it short and get right into it. Um, but yeah, so uh, here's here's Kashif and uh, enjoy the show. And uh, yeah, let's do this. All right, uh, joining me now is Kashif Moore, a former UConn wide receiver and uh, now wide receivers coach at Wesleyan University. Uh, Kashif, uh, it's great to talk to you. How's it, how's it been going? Hey, everything's been well. Just trying to stay safe. And uh, right now we're on a break, so I'm trying to keep myself busy. But I appreciate you having me back. Thank you. No, it's uh, it's uh, great to talk to you. So, you know, uh, we were just, uh, before we started recording, we were just talking about just how wild it is that it's been 10 years since the Fiesta Bowl. So I, I guess just, uh, you know, kind of a first first place to start. I mean, you know, what's a, how does, how does, how does it even feel to just kind of have, think back that it's been that long since, uh, you know, that game and just, you know, how, I don't know, life has kind of just moved on ever since, you know? Yeah, well, um, the first thing I think is that it makes me feel old that it's been 10 years. But um, no, I, I mean, it was a great ride. Um, it, was a, it was a great experience for me and the rest of my teammates and, and uh, the coaches and everyone that, that was a part of that UConn program for us to, uh, you know, have that historic run and um, reach somewhere that no one really thought that we'd ever reach before. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty crazy just to think about. I mean, especially just kind of given how things have kind of played out ever since, you know, that really was like a really special moment in the football uh, program's history. So, you know, maybe just uh, real quick before we dive into the game, could you just give, a, you know, for those, you know, li- 
maybe some of our listeners are younger, maybe don't remember your playing days. Can you just give a quick, uh, you know, intro to, you know, who you are, kind of, you know, your background as a UConn player and uh, I guess what, what you've been up to other than, uh, you know, coaching at Wesleyan. Okay. Yeah. So, um, obviously my name is Kashif Moore, uh, originally from Burlington, New Jersey, uh, where I played high school. And, uh, from there I, um, went, uh, and joined, the UConn football program on a, on a full scholarship in 2007. And uh, my final season there was 2011. So uh, I registered my first year in 2007, got a chance to, um, you know, work on my strength and, and learn that playbook. Um, and then I started off four years after that. And, um, you know, from there, I think we had a great ride. Um, you know, my career at UConn, you know, went to four bowl games and, you know, won two Big East championships and, um, Played pretty well, uh, which gave me some opportunities. Uh, with one of them being to, uh, you know, go to the NFL Combine and, um, you know, go undrafted and, and, and bounce around the league for about, you know, three four years. And uh, from then on, I ended up moving down to Atlanta, Georgia, um, where I helped open up a uh, fitness club that I had invested in. And um, uh, I lived down in Atlanta for about three years. Um, and then, you know, while I was, you know, working in that fitness industry, you know, um, I kind of had an itch not to play, but to be around the sport. And I feel like I had so much to give back from, you know, my experiences and, and where I was able to make it to, um, in the sport of football that, you know, I'm so passionate about it that I ended up, uh, reaching out to my wide receiver coach, um, who was at UConn while I was there, who was now a um, head high school coach in West Hartford at Connor High School. And I told him, I said, hey, coach, I think I want to get in, into uh, coaching. And he said, hey, I got a spot here for you to coach my wide receiver. See if you like it before you step into it full time. And um, that's what I did. And um, I was hired by Wesleyan University in July, August. And um, yeah, now I'm a full-time wide receivers coach and I love it. That's awesome. That's it's really cool, and you know, it's uh, you know, really awesome journey, especially you know, um, and just uh, I was just thinking back too. Just you know, you talked about how you know you got to UConn in two thousand seven, and you know, you're there for five years, and really, like while you were at UConn, it was pretty much just like the best stretch that UConn has had uh, at the FBS level. And uh, I, I feel like that kind of progression is important to the lead up to, to the Fiesta Bowl because you guys. You know, you, you get to UConn in 2007, and you you know it's your redshirt year, but the team has like a you know a really great season. You know, as uh you know t- gets a share of the Big East title. 2008, I think you guys started like five and zero, had a really nice season, and then 2009 was just a a really really remarkable season. I mean, you guys had some close losses, but you also had the Notre Dame win. You guys beat South Carolina in a bowl game. And you know, 2010 was just a, a big year. We just kind of all felt like it was gonna. You know, something special could happen if things worked out. Do you uh, remember, I guess, going into the 2010 season, just kind of what the vibe was around the program and just kind of how what you guys thought you guys might be capable of? Yeah, um, so I think our 2009 season, we had so much talent and, and so much momentum towards the end of the season. Um, obviously, um, you know, the passing of Jasper Howard, it, it gave us so much fuel and, um, and it brought us so close together that... Um, you know, I felt that we really had a chance to do something special. 
uh, going into that 2010 season. Um, now, if you were to ask anyone if we were going to go to a BCS Bowl after our opening uh, game at the Big House against uh, University of Michigan, I think everyone would say no. And um, I think we lost from 09 season maybe six to eight starters. So, I mean, when you think about that and you have, you know, six to eight new guys out there starting on the field, it's going to take some time for those guys to develop and, you know, get used to the speed of the game and things like that. And, um, I mean, we just stayed together. We stayed a part of the process that Coach Edson and the coaching staff laid out, which was to, you know, lock in and stay in the moment, you know, take everything one week at a time, you know, one day at a time, one rep at a time. And we followed that blueprint. And, um, you know, I think, you know, we had the talent to win some of those games that we did. And once we started clicking, I think one of the most important experiences that I learned was that, um, you know, if you can gain some momentum and, and, and really lock in end of October, win some games and, November football is the most important, you know, time of the year if you want to make a run for a championship. Yeah, that season. That's what we did. Sorry, yeah, that the way that things played out that season was really was really something else. Because uh, you know, not only do you guys have the tough loss at Michigan, you guys also end up falling to three and four um, and start zero and two in Big East play. And you know, the loss to Louisville was really was really bad, like twenty six to nothing. Uh, you know, you had already had a lot of tar- cor- uh, quarterback turnover. Because, you know, Zach Frazier starts the season as the starter. He ends up getting dropped all the way to third on the depth chart. Cody Endress had his his situation. He leaves the program, and Mike Box gets hurt. So, you know, after the Louisville game, like, what are you guys thinking at that point? Like, you know, I imagine the BCS must have been the farthest thing from your mind. But, you know, what was kind of the, the general mood like at that point? Yeah, I think that was a really tough loss going out there and, and you know, not being able to put any points on the board. I think it was a wake-up call for us because, again, um, we knew that we had, uh, you know, a bunch of talent and that we were capable of winning games. But um, I think it was a really big wake-up call for us. And, um, you know, after that loss, I think we came back with a little bit more intensity, a little bit more focus and um, preparation uh, from then on. And, uh, again, you know, things started to click for us. And, you know, you talk about a guy like Zach Frazier who – you know, at one point was number three on the depth chart. He stayed locked in. And, um, you know, I know Coach Moorhead, he's a great coach now over at um, University of Oregon. But, um, you know, he was their quarterback coach, and he was able to, uh, you know, build that relationship with a guy like Zach Frazier and keep him locked in and have him ready to go when his number's called. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he played well, uh, certainly, once he got his second chance. Uh, the five-game winning streak you guys have was – was well it was frankly just a it was a blast you know the the West Virginia game was a, was an absolute thriller you know the fans end up storming the field afterwards it was so crazy the pit game you guys like had to convert on that like I think yeah the, the late fourth down conversion basically to clinch the game and if that thing doesn't if that play doesn't happen Pittsburgh definitely kicks a field goal to win it and that's pretty much it right there and then like the the South Florida game and the, the at the end of the season where I mean, man, that was just a, a real a real tractor pull. But uh, Dave Tager came through with the the two fifty yard field goals, basically uh, to win, and including the fifty yarder at the end. Excuse me, the fifty two yarder at the end. Um, I, I mean, as a fan, like you know, obviously I was working at the Daily Campus, and I knew at that point, you know, if you guys won, then you know we're going to a BCS bowl, and so you know personally I had a big stake in it. I was like, oh man, if they win, they're like we're gonna go like on a 
you know, in a, a trip, an assignment of a lifetime, you guys are actually like living that moment. What was it like for you when you see uh, Taggart hit that field goal to, to win the game? Oh, man, it was crazy. Um, to be able to win those games that you mentioned in such a dramatic fashion, it, it kind of was the exact opposite of some of those games that we lost in 09, right? So uh, to do it in 2010 and, and, you know, to be able to capture that Big East title, um, not sure why we really shared it against the teams that we ended up beating, but um, it was it was great memories. And, you know, going down to South Florida and knowing that if we were to win that game, that we would get the, get a shot into the BCS Bowl. Um, I mean, we were so focused on that. And um, Tegert made a great play. And, uh, the rest was history. I remember being in the locker room and, and representatives from both the Orange Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl came into the locker room to congratulate us, and it was just an unreal feeling. Obviously something that um, no one in the history of UConn had ever experienced before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so remarkable. And, you know, I it kind of reminds me just how, like, right now, obviously, the, the system is different with the college football playoff, but it's like kind of a similar type of deal where, you know, teams like UConn usually don't get an opportunity like that. It's like it's college football is weird because like in a lot of sports, they embrace the underdog and they embrace the Cinderella, whereas college football is like designed specifically to try to basically, you know, keep those type of teams out. So with you guys, you know, you guys get into the Fiesta Bowl and, you know, it, honestly, like it was kind of disappointing to see kind of how, you know, you guys generally were treated by like the you know, fans across the country is almost being like this interloper who didn't belong. How did you guys kind of respond to that sense that, you know, you guys were sort of an outsider crashing the party and, you know, maybe we're taking up a more deserving team spot. Was that something that you guys, that motivated you guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, we had always been an underdog even within our conference. So it, it wasn't anything that we were, uh, we weren't used to. So, uh, we definitely used that to motivate us and, and drive us. And, you know, we went into that game with a lot of confidence. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't play out the way that we wanted it to. But, again, it, it overall was just a great experience. I mean, the Fiesta Bowl, um, that bowl experience being there all week out in Arizona, they really wrote out that red carpet for us. I mean, we were getting <laughs> a police escorts to practice. They were shut down the highway just for us to go to practice, which was crazy. Yeah, man, it was a yeah. They they the organizers definitely uh, it was definitely a good operation that they had over there, uh, as as far as like just taking care of the uh, the players, the athletes, and you know everybody else who was there. They they took care of me and uh, me and Colin too for you know, and we're we're just kind of whatever, just you know you know how it goes. So um, anyway, you know you guys have like a month between the USF game and the game itself. So what do you remember about that time and just like the long month of preparation for Oklahoma, who was clearly you know. You guys hadn't seen a team like Oklahoma yet, so what was that like? Just kind of gearing up for the, you know, that opportunity that you had. I mean, it, it was eye opening to, um, you know, go into that that uh, team meeting, and, and uh, you know, we always do a scouting report on whoever our opponent is, and you know, see some of the type of plays and that they that those guys were making, and you know looking at the roster and seeing the sizes of these guys is like, man. But again, it was something that we weren't used to. You know, we, we played against South Carolina. We played against Notre Dame's where, you know, you those schools get guys, you know, from across the country that, you know, are the biggest, fastest, 
you know, end up going to the NFL at a high rate. But, um, I mean, it, it was just an exciting challenge that, you know, we wanted to go head first into. Um, now, going into those weeks of practice, um, typically, again, this is our fourth bowl game, so we're kind of used to that schedule, which is everybody's home for, for break. We're still up at school. It's like a ghost town up there, but we got to practice. And, um, you know, those practices are, are, are a lot more so like spring ball where we're competing against each other for, for a little bit before we get into um, some uh, some preparation for Oklahoma. Yeah, and now obviously once you guys are in Arizona, um, when I rewatch the game, I – I'd almost forgotten about this, and it honestly is one of the coolest parts about the game. You wore Jasper Howard's number, and uh, I guess as I understand it, that kind of came together fairly kind of behind closed doors and sort of caught most of the team by surprise. Could you share uh, what kind of how that came about and sort of just the the whole process that led to you wearing number six? Oh, yeah. I mean, and that was an honor and a privilege, and um, it actually – happened while we were still on campus practicing um i'm stretched wearing stretch lines and coach Edsel walks up to me and he he kind of whispers in my ear he says hey don't tell anyone but um how would you feel about wearing you know number six for the fiesta bowl during the game and um you know i had the biggest smile and um you know that made my day and um it was hard not to not to tell some of my teammates and, and family members, but um, you know I even warmed up in my in my 82 uh, during the pregame and when we ran out onto that field uh, before kickoff, I did have that number six on, and um, I remember hearing from you know Jasper's family, you know how that made them feel and you know how proud they were that I was able to wear that number, um, you know in remembrance for Jazz, and I think it even gave me. Uh, extra motivation in that that game night as well that must have just been the coolest moment because not only are you running out onto the field at university of phoenix stadium this just this an insane huge nfl facility that where they host super bowls and you're wearing you know your 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 friend's number i mean what was that moment like just that feeling of running out on the field for that game and that circumstance you know right that right then yeah, I mean, it was it was like a dream come true, you know. As as a kid, I always dreamed of, you know, just that feeling of, of running out to a, a crowd of that magnitude and and you know that magnitude of, of a game, um, and uh, that's just what it was. It's like that fairy tale type of, um, you know, dreamy experience, and uh, you know, it's something that I'll, I'll always look back on to. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of dive into the game itself, I, I did just want to ask, as far as uh, Jazz goes, how you know his how uh, how how often I guess are you in touch with his family now? Like, and you and the other guys, have, have you guys all stayed pretty close uh, to the to the family ever since you guys graduated? Um, yes, uh, myself and a couple of guys have. Uh, she sent me a, a picture of, of Jasper's daughter um, about two days ago, man, and just to see how big she has and how much she's grown. And, you know, that smile looking just like Jasper's, it's amazing. She's got to be like 10 now or even maybe like 11, right? Yeah. That's just, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. She's a track star too. So she definitely got those athletic genes from both her and Denisha. And, um, you know, she competes at a really high level in, in summer track down there in Miami. And, 
know, she usually qualifies for junior Olympic nationals and things like that every year. Wow, man. Well, UConn's got to, got to make sure that they, uh, get her involved in the, in the track program uh, if they can. I mean, who oh, knows? Yeah. Maybe they, she may, she may be too good. <laughs> that's, that's always a possibility. Right. Um, anyway, so as far as the game itself goes, um, you know, I, I rewatched the game last night and actually I have to admit it's the first time I've actually watched the TV broadcast because obviously I was in the press box and had kind of a different perspective on the game. And, you know, rewatching it, I was struck by how like, you know, my impression of the game at the time was that, you know, Oklahoma was pretty much in control the whole time, but it wasn't really a blowout until the very end. You know, it was, there was like a sense almost really up until the last 10 minutes of the game where if one or two plays goes right for you guys, it's a totally different game. And, um, you know, it kind of starts when, you know, the first quarter doesn't really go your way. Oklahoma gets two touchdowns in their, you know, first couple drives. And, you know, so they're ahead 14 nothing, And then next thing you know, Dwayne Gratz gets the 46-yard pick six. And all of a sudden, it's 14-7 with a whole bunch of time left. And, I mean, oh, I, at that point, God knows what could happen next. What do you remember about, uh, you know, Gratz's pick and just kind of where things stood at that point in the game? Yeah, so, I mean, I remember offensively, it, it was tough for us to get some momentum going. And we obviously, you know, wanted to put some points on the board. But, uh you know, we were having some trouble, uh, you know, executing and, and winning the battle up front. But um, when you have a guy like Dwayne Gratz that makes a play like that for to help us put points on the board, you know, it, it really gives you, um, you know, a different perspective and a change of momentum. Um, I mean, I know we also ran back a kickoff for a touchdown. And, you know, statistically, if you can return an interception for a touchdown and you have a special teams touchdown, um, you know, your chances of winning or at least being in the game, you know, go up pretty high. And, um, you know, I wasn't surprised because those are the type of things that we were doing all season. You know, defense was always uh, finding ways to get turnovers and, you know, our special teams game, uh, you know, whether it be punt returns, kick returns, we always had playmakers back there. Yeah, man, that's that's true. I mean, if you ask, like, what what does UConn football have to do to pull off this upset? You pretty much would say, all right, well, you have to play mistake-free on offense. You need to get stops on defense and you need to have a couple of like, you know, those unusual plays, like get a pick six, get a special teams touchdown. And what was interesting is that you guys actually had like the most unlikely thing happen, but just like on the offense, like you didn't quite convert on like the key plays you needed to. And on defense, there were just a couple of times where you maybe Oklahoma gets, you know, they get that conversion, and then the next play they go for like a 50-yard touchdown or something. Um, in the first quarter, there was your, I think it was your second drive where I think this was kind of emblematic of the game where you guys had a really nice uh, drive. I think you, you know, you guys, Ryan Griffin gets a long third down conversion. You had a nice first down on third and eight. There was a couple of other, you know, you guys basically get all the way into Oklahoma territory and you know have a good chance at scoring. And then on fourth and one. Oklahoma just stuffs you guys. I mean, and that kind of happened a bunch of times. Do you, what was the, what was it about Oklahoma's defense where they just kept on winning those like fourth and one kind of key, you know, short yardage battles? I mean, when you think about those, those shortened, uh, shortened, um, situations, um, it, it's all about up front, 
right? And, and again, remember when I when I was looking at their roster and seeing the talent that those guys had, you know, all around, especially up front, um, you know, it's going to be a battle of the trenches. And I think we won that for the most part throughout that 2010 season. But when it came to, you know, a talented team like Oklahoma, um, you know, unfortunately they did win that battle up front against us and that's what it comes down to in, in some games, especially the type of football that we played, right? We played that, that up north smash mouth uh, type of football where, you know, we really had a, a, a really strong run game with um, the running backs we've, we've had back there and Jordan Tomlin that year. And, um, you know, we had a pretty stout offensive line, but that's just what it comes down to in those um, short yardage situations is that battle up front. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma is just was they were huge. So, you know, it's it's not really terribly surprising it worked out that way. But it was definitely in the moment. You're just like, man, like, you know, Jordan Hodman, that guy can get 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 yards when he needs them. So and, you know, let's just be clear. Jordan Hodman played well. He had like 121 yards in the game and uh, I think like 32 carries. I mean, he, he certainly he certainly gave his best. And uh, it did just feel like he was just running into a brick wall a lot. And then. To his credit, he like as the game went on, he started getting some you know better runs. Like I think in the second quarter, he finally kind of started getting going and uh, gave you guys some drives to at least get a, in the field goal range. So when you guys go into halftime and it's only twenty to ten, what was the vibe like? You know, how do you guys feel just about the way things were going at that point? Um, I mean, we we still had a had a positive outlook during halftime. You know, that definitely wasn't the first time we had been down before, and it. And, um, you know, everyone felt like, you know, we could make some adjustments, you know, while we were in the locker room and come back um, and, you know, make some more positive plays on offense. And what about uh, Randy Edsel? Did he have any particular message to you guys or any specific adjustments? Um, I just remember him saying that, you know, we got to keep playing, you know, um, stay positive and um, that we would have to get something going on on offense. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, now, defensively, I I don't really know quite how to chalk up the defense in this game because on one hand, you know, the defense allows 34 points and, you know, obviously the there was the two pick sixes, but whatever, that's not on the defense. And, you know, o- Oklahoma racks up 500 yards. So that's like objectively not good. But on the other hand, the defense did keep you guys in the game with a lot of key stops, especially in the third quarter. There was like a point where, you know, yeah, Oklahoma gets a couple of touchdowns and things are kind of starting to look pretty bad. And then, you know, once you guys crawl back into like, like the point where you're at like 34 to 20, the defense forces three stops in a row. So like at that point, it's really not inconceivable to think like all you guys need is just like one more touchdown. And, you know, it's it's a one touchdown game in the fourth quarter. And at that point, anything can happen. So what did you how do you kind of you know looking back? How do you feel about the defense and just the way those guys competed in the game? I mean, I feel like we we almost let the you know the defense down, and um, that's kind of the mentality and, and the production that the defense we're playing with all year. Um, you know, those guys were great. They were always making big stops for us, and you know, keeping us in the game, and, and uh, we were able to hang on and pull off some wins. But uh, you know, in that situation there, you know, I just felt bad because you know when you look out there and. You know, defense. Your, your your teammates are out there tired because you know we can't convert a first down. It's it's a bad feeling. You feel bad for those guys, and you want to do everything that you can to uh, 
you know, help keep them off the field and, you know, have some production offensively. Yeah. And, you know, in the third quarter really kind of struck me just how those like one or two plays really made all the difference where, so, you know, Oklahoma at the time, they're up, they're 20, to, uh, they're up 20 to 10. And then next thing you know, you guys have a, I believe it was a third and nine situation and Oklahoma converts and on the very next play. They just go for a 59 yard touchdown. So there's one where you're like, man, just get them that, get that one stop in that one play. And you know, we're, we're a different game. And then you had, so this happened actually twice where, you know, Frazier, you know, throws to, you know, one of his wide receivers and the ball gets bobbled right into the hands of a, into a cornerback. And then it just goes the other way for a touchdown, which seems just like tremendously unlucky. And it happened to you guys twice. What did, you know, I guess just as a wide receiver, what were you thinking in, you know, in both of those cases where, you know, just the, the ball just goes back the other way on what was really a pretty unfortunate situation. Well, in the moments, okay, <laughs> let's try to tackle this guy before he gets into the end zone. But, um, uh, you know, I, I don't really remember too much, but I know that, you know, anytime you bobble a ball or, you know, you're around guys and, and you don't catch that thing clean, um, you know, turnover, turnovers can happen. So, and that's what, what happened, unfortunately. Yeah. And then literally the very next play after the first one of those, um, Robbie Fry just immediately takes a kickoff 95 yards for a touchdown. So I personally, I just remember being in the press box going from, you know, after the, the pick six, I'm just like looking at Colin just being like, okay, uh, this isn't looking good. And then that happens and we're both just like, okay, this game is officially stupid. Like what, what, what's going on here? Dude, what were you guys thinking then? Uh, and then I guess also after, uh, you know, Taggart ends up getting another field goal pretty shortly afterwards, you know, what were you guys thinking at that point where it's still now only it's 34, 20, you guys have time, you know, were you thinking at that point? Okay. Like, here we go. Or what was kind of your vibe at that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, again, we have been, making those type of plays all season. So it wasn't much of a surprise to us. So I think we have learned to always stay level-headed, right? In the game of football, crazy things happen. and You want to be able to stay level-headed so that you can stay focused, not get too high, not get too low. Um, so, I mean, it was a positive play for us. And, and um, you know, we're excited to try to get back out there and see what we can do offensively to get, get us back in the game. Yeah. And I think just like the next, uh, I guess we'll say like the next 10 minutes or so of game time was what I, I I think. So, you know, I talked about how, you know, people who look back at this game just think, oh, it was a huge blowout. But really, like late in the third quarter and early in the fourth quarter, this was the sequence. So you guys are down by 14 and you force a punt on Oklahoma's next drive, a three and out. So they are that's actually their second straight three and out at that point. And then you guys also go three and out and punt. And then Ryan Broyles has this huge punt return and you guys force a fumble and Jerome Jr. recovers it. So like there you have now, not only do you have a special teams touchdown, but you also have a special teams turnover. And then, you know, you guys end up punting and Oklahoma, you guys get another stop. Oklahoma drives pretty much all the way down the field and they try to get tricky on you guys and do a fake field goal. I'd completely forgot that this happened. And Jerome Jr. breaks up the pass and what was honestly a really awesome pass breakup. So I think with 13.50 to play, it's still 34 to, 10, uh, to 20. And, you know, it's now it's really kind of anything anything could happen. Do you, do you uh, I don't know, I'm looking for the question here, but what do you, what, 
you know, not to get too repetitive, but I guess what are you thinking now where it's you guys have the ball and a chance to really make this a game? Do you, do you I guess, remember kind of where you, what your head was at at that point? Man, those guys, now that you mentioned all of those things, those guys really did so much to keep us in the game and to, to give us an opportunity to, uh, you know, tie that thing up. Because uh, like you said, we were only down two possessions. So, um, I mean, we obviously, you know, broke that huddle and in, in, in the most positive, you know, mindset possible because, you know, we, we've been down before, you know, we've had to come back to win games. And, um, you know, that's something that we weren't used to, I mean, that we were used to. So, um, you know, we just tried to do everything we can and uh, listen to our coaches at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we don't need to harp on what happened next. It Obviously, offensively, it didn't happen for you guys. And, you know, then finally, you can only keep Oklahoma down so long. They end up getting another touchdown drive and then the second pick six. And it's kind of good night, Irene, at that point. Um, but I do remember after the game, you know, we, we come to meet you guys in the locker room. You guys were it felt like you guys were in pretty good spirits. So I guess kind of what was your sense at that point where it's like, okay, we lost, but you know what, I guess, yeah. How, how were you feeling at that point? I mean, we were sort of upset that we lost. I mean, you know, losing never feels, feels good. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I was just proud of our teammates and, and that program for what we uh, had made it through and, and what we made it to, which was that, uh, BCS game and I was just kind of you know proud of, of that moment you know despite the loss and obviously we all know um, what happened after that when and you know in, in the locker room JT uh, announced that uh, Jordan Tobin I should say announced that he would be uh, you know entering the draft which wasn't a surprise because of the type of talent player he was and um, you know we were all happy for him yeah, no, that's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because then kind of, you know, you guys have that moment, you guys have the kind of the, the game itself and sort of that whole thing. And literally, you know, the next morning at all kind of uh, things got kind of wild again. Um, you know, you guys learned that Randy Edsel was going to be the head coach at Maryland. Can you walk me through that morning and just kind of what happened and, you know, how you remember just the, you know, finding out the news and sort of how the team felt about it at the time? Yeah, so, um, I didn't take the flight back to uh, to Connecticut because we were on break and you know you had the option to, to fly to where you live. So I ended up taking a flight um, to Philadelphia, which is the closest airport to me, with me living in South Jersey. I remember being on the flight with our um, with our team photographer, and it was just a bunch of random people, some fans on there, and I always fall asleep on the plane, so. The way I found out was from people on that plane. <laughs> and, um, you know, I wake up and they're like, hey, how do you feel about Coach Edsel um, leaving and going to Maryland? I'm like, wait, what? What are you guys talking about? Um, <laughs> so when I get off get off the plane, um, you know, my phone starts blowing up. And, you know, you got reporters and, and, and people calling me, asking me my take on it. And, um, it was a crazy experience, and, and things happened really fast, right? Going from a BCS bowl to then finding out that, you know, the guy that created everything and got you there, um, unfortunately, was taking a job elsewhere. But um, at the end of the day, it, it, I didn't feel I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't talk bad 
uh, about him, about that, that situation. I ended up getting on the phone with him not too long after, and um, I learned a really important lesson on that, which is, you know, when you do really good things, and, um, you know, you put yourself and your family in a position uh, for better opportunities, and, and that was a big lesson for me that, um, you know, I take with me to this day. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Edsel really took a, a beating from, you know, the general Yukon community for that. And it kind of remained kind of a black mark on him basically up until he came back. And now it generally feels like kind of, you know, the water's under the bridge. Um, you know, how, uh, you know, I, I guess like after it all went down, you know, did you stay in touch with Edsel? I guess I should ask, like, are you to this day still in touch with Edsel? Like, uh, you know, how, how was your relationship after that and, you know, in the years since? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I talk to Coach Edsel all of the time, and um, you know the impact that he had on on my life, especially um, you know through the Jasper Howard situation. And you know, I'm I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity to be able to uh, be coached by him, and that he he brought me to UConn in the first place. But um, he's been a mentor for me um, as well, especially with me getting into coaching. So. I mean, I talk to him all the time. I love that guy. Yeah, though that's that's good to hear. And just, I guess, just kind of one more one more thing on Edsel. One thing I kind of thought about recently is just, you know, usually in a situation like he was in, usually the coaches just leave, and then like an assistant coaches the ball game. I feel like that is kind of the general kind of way it goes down. So in his case, like he co- he sticks around and he coaches the game, and then he basically Maryland was probably like, okay, like you know, TikTok, you, you got to come over now. So, you know, do you, how do, I guess, like, how, how do you feel like he handled it? Like, would it have been, you know, better, I guess, if he had told you guys ahead of time? Would it have been better if he just, you know, took the job? Or did he handle it basically as best as he could? What, what How do you kind of, with the benefit of hindsight, feel about just the way it all played out? Yeah. Um, well, I think at the end of the day, everyone's human, right? And um, maybe he could have done it in a better way, right, that announcement. But, um, you know, sometimes you got to put yourself in other people's shoes and the magnitude of the situation we are in, everything that he had, that we had all been through, um, you know, throughout that time. You know, I really can't answer as to why he didn't handle it a different way. Um, But, again, no hard feelings. I understand that, you know, again, we're all human beings and, you know, people, you know, make their their own decisions. So, um, that's that's kind of how it went down. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, obviously this game now 10 years later, it's, you know, kind of taken on an interesting legacy with, uh, you know, within just college football, I guess. How, you know, looking back, you know, how do you look back on this game just kind of, you know, given its kind of unique place in you know, UConn's history and, you know, with, uh, I guess, college football's history? Because, uh, you know, obviously you know, the BCS didn't last for very much longer afterwards. And, you know, the Big East football kind of ceased to exist too. Do you, you know, what does it mean? I guess like just when you, when you think back to this game, what do you think about just, uh, you know, being a part of, you know, this chapter of, uh, you know, UConn football history? Um, I mean, I feel really good about it. I feel really good about, um, you know, making history. And I think that's what we sought out to do um, was not be ordinary, right? Not just have an average career or average season um you know when, when Essel uh sat down in my living room and was recruiting me he said you know next year we're gonna win a big east conference championship and you know we want to continue to win here 
and we did exactly that. And, you know, to be able to experience all of those things, I think every time I go up to UConn and I try to visit as much as I can and talk to the younger guys is that, you know, we, we're all underdogs. We're all under-recruited. And, you know, that's kind of the atmosphere that it still is now. But I want those guys to be able to experience some of the memories that I had, right, which was going to four bowl games in a row, um, you know, having those huge wins against schools that nobody ever would have, you know, imagined that we would have beat. So um, I just try to use that to motivate the next generation and letting them know, hey, if you follow this process and, um, you know, you continue to be the best person you can on and off the field, these type of things will happen if you guys do it collectively and you guys do it together. Nice. Awesome. Well, Kashif, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been awesome. Um, so, yeah, so I'll, uh, I guess um, while I got you, do you have anything else worth mentioning? Any good stories from that season, that night, you know, just that time in general? Um, so many good memories. I mean, again, every time you go to a bowl game, you know, you're down there for a week and, um, you know, you find ways to, to have some fun and experience that city. And I mean, that's what we, that's exactly what we did in Arizona. And just the memories with the guys is, is mostly what I, you know, take from it. And, um, I mean, it was just overall a great experience. Even, I mean, the announcement for us to go to the Fiesta Bowl, I remember everybody going to, to, uh, the team meeting room. We had a team meeting just for the announcement of, whether us, whether we would be going to the Orange Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, and I remember bringing oranges in there and some Tostitos chips in there, and, um, you know, kind of as some props. And uh, I mean, guys had fun that night, you know, kind of tailgating for that announcement. So it, it was just some great memories, man. And again, I hope uh, you know the younger generation, those young guys over at UConn, uh, get to experience something like that. Yeah, that that'd be awesome. I mean, I it, it's kind of hard to imagine a fiesta ball happening again, just given the way the system works now. But just to, you know, this team, you know, they've been through a lot. But you know, you gotta say, you have a sense that you, if I feel like there's gonna be a point where this group is gonna break through and they're gonna start to win some games and. You know, hopefully they'll get a cool opportunity to go to a cool ball game. And, you know, just speaking personally, I think, you know, the festival was a, a pretty solid place to go, if nothing else, just because, like, Tocitos as a sponsor is pretty dope. Um, did they give you guys as many chips as they gave uh, gave us in the media? Because people were, like, throwing bags of chips at me the whole week, practically. Yeah, so um, the resort we stayed on for the, for the bowl game in Arizona, it was a beautiful resort. Um, but, you know, they have players' lounges, so... <laughs> one of the lounges just had every Tostitos type of chips, Doritos you can imagine with all the dips. So, <laughs> I mean, guys were, were getting sick. They were eating so many chips and, and, and all of that dip. So um, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I was thinking while I was there, I was like, man, we're, we're lucky we're not at like the, you know, the, the random and like mortgage insurance, whatever bowl that they have sometimes. So, Anyway, uh, Kushi, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the time. Um, you hang on the line real quick. Uh, for you guys, uh, we'll uh, just uh, be back after a quick break. Uh, I got Colin McDonough coming up, and we'll uh, talk a little bit more. All right, and joining me now is Colin McDonough. Uh, Colin, thanks so much for coming on. How's it going? Hey, Mac. How's it going? 
it's good to be back. Um, happy holidays to everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Colin, you know, you and I, obviously, we uh, were daily campus running mates. We covered the Fiesta Bowl together. Kind of wild to imagine it's been 10 years, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it really is crazy. Um, I think this time of year, even though with the pandemic still going on and everyone hopefully still staying, staying safe and healthy, um, seeing some of the big college football bowl games back, I think every year since going to the Fiesta Bowl, I think back to it. And it, it is crazy how it, there's been 10 years in between, um, you know, not just in our own lives, but even in the life of UConn athletics and UConn football. Yeah, I know. It's pretty wild to think. And just like, so obviously uh, we, I talked to Kashif, uh, you know, we had a great conversation. Uh, you know, it's just kind of incredible, you know, that ever happened in the first place like if you go back and think about it like you know UConn being good at basketball is pretty improbable but you know it's it was sustainable this was just a crazy moment in time where UConn football basically kind of crashed the party in a system that's really set up to keep teams like UConn out and it's just thinking back it's just so wild to imagine that this happened and that UConn got to play in the Fiesta Bowl, something that I'm pretty sure is never going to happen again. Even if UConn gets good, like college football is just set up to just keep teams like UConn out. So I don't know. It's got me super nostalgic rewatching the game and everything. Uh, you know, I guess just first things first, I think you, you said you rewatched the game. Had you ever actually seen the Fiesta Bowl since we, we, we saw it in person, obviously? Had you ever actually watched the broadcast before this week? I think I saw part of it like eight or nine years ago but i had never seen um the whole thing through which is kind of like a cool thing because i grew up a huge college football fan i still am um so even though uconn football was you know obviously um division one double a and then made the jump as i was in middle school and into high school i was a uconn fan in air quotes but i kind of grew up um watching Notre Dame football a lot and then just obviously the big teams. So like I loved seeing it, the broadcast because to see our school now our alma mater um, in a new year's day bowl game against a team like Oklahoma, it was just kind of still surreal even 10 years later to see that actually, you know, on the scoreboard and on the field um, as someone who like, even with all its flaws, I do love the tradition of the bulls in a sense. Um, and yeah, even like you said, how, uh, what's interesting with the current system in a pandemic season, we've seen kind of some of the controversy even more. So, um, like even thinking that UConn was eight and four going to the Fiesta Bowl and people thinking like, Oh my gosh, you know, hell, what a, what a joke that this eight and four team is going and then, you know, this year we have 4-2 Oregon going to the Fiesta Bowl. So it's kind of, you know, like, um, you're right, UConn will probably never get back to that point. But it is still kind of funny. You see how um, why bowls are great and also why bowls kind of aren't great in the same time when you think of UConn versus Oklahoma and then even 10 years later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy just to think just like, in a weird way, this game was like a massive, like impactful game in college football history. Because if you think about it, this was a game where basically, you know, the powers that be in college football were like, okay, well, we can't let that happen again. So like they, it wasn't, I don't think it's a coincidence that a couple of years later, and obviously there's a lot of other things that kind of went into it, but you know, you end up having, you know, the, the college football playoff come about 
and you know um allegedly the group of five like has a new year's bowl game kind of tie tie in but you know that's only that doesn't carry the same cachet as just what the bcs meant back then it was like that was like the 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 cream of the crop really so you know it's a it was it was kind of just crazy to think back and just also to the season too like you know Colin for both of us this was like the biggest thing we'd ever done at this point in our lives and in our careers like before this like we covered UConn baseball and like track and some of the smaller sports and next thing you know like you know we, we hadn't had a chance to do basketball yet at this point and um you know obviously all the you know, in our lives, you know, we've kind of experienced championships, uh, you know, on the pro level and in the, you know, the college level before and since. But, you know, this football season was such a wild ride and such a massive, you know, moment in our like lives as sporting fans and, you know, as professionals. Do, do you, what do you, what do you remember just about covering this season? Just how, uh, how, how cool it was for, for the two of us? Yeah. So obviously, you know, me, you and, and Matt, we kind of, um, we're fortunate with the daily campus, how uh, as juniors we got into some of the top beats. Um, so I remember, like it was, it was really big professionally and personally. I think, although, like you said, UConn basketball is you know the top of, of everything, men's and women's. Um, that year was a huge football year, even before the year started. So, like when I was thinking back about this. Um, you know, UConn with the lost Oklahoma finished eight and five and the year before they were also eight and five. Um, and that previous season's team, I think you could argue might've been better than the Fiesta Bowl team. Um, you know, obviously the, the tragic, uh, murder and, and death of Jasper Howard, um, you know, the previous season. And then you had the, uh, really heartbreaking on the field football losses, at West Virginia, the home game, um, I think it was on Halloween against Rutgers. That was like um, legit, almost like the, the worst day of my life. <laughs> I yeah, I, no, I, and, and I was, can't think of very was, many times where I felt worse after a loss. I literally wanted to die. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was such a, a, like, you know, that was a very surreal time, I think, for a lot of not just UConn sports fans, but students because um, of what happened, you know, right in the heart of our campus and stores. Then UConn almost, they hung up with undefeated Cincinnati, and then they finally get the first one after Jasper Howard's death at Notre Dame. And then, you know, even beating an SEC team like South Carolina in the Papa John's dot combo with, you know, Kashif Morris' great catch. That season was unbelievable, even if it didn't, and in a BCS. Um, and I mean, like in, in, in that way to make it through that season as a school and, and campus, um, and for the football players, obviously, um, was a huge accomplishment in, you know, the life sense. Yeah. And I, then I think the next, and I, I remember even covering spring football, um, and just getting excited. Cause like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get to cover the team next year. And then even though, you know, Kemba was back um, and the women's team was coming off back-to-back national championships, that football team was really hyped where, um, you know, they started with Michigan and they got uh, what DJ Shoemate from USC, Dwayne Difton was like kind of a big recruit from Florida where you kind of almost thought like, oh my gosh, like the football team might be the best team on campus this year. Um 
you know, well, besides, I mean, the, the UConn women still had Maya Moore, but the men, you didn't really know, you know, you know, know they'd win the national championship where that fall, the football team, it's like, I, I almost envisioned us being a Cincinnati going like 12 and one or something. And, you know, kind of, um, getting into the BCS, uh, I would say earning it in the eyes of people outside the Big East where like, okay, even though we're not, you know, a traditional team, well, they are clearly a really good team. Um, But even, you know, the season starts with Michigan kind of laying it to them 30 to 10. And I know this seems crazy, but to think, you know, back then that I I kind of was confident going into a game at Michigan, um, and then it, I, you know, they started the season disappointingly with kind of quarterback craziness, um, you know, between like Fraser and Endress and, and Michael Box and Endress leaving the t- team. It was kind of just okay. Like this season is not going well. Yeah. <laughs> and before um, Colin, can I interrupt you before we get yes, too far from two thousand nine? I did also just want to say like. You know, that being a UConn football fan back in those days, it just felt like an exercise of just constantly getting your hopes up and getting kicked in the nuts. Because in 2009, do you remember they they lost all five of their games by a combined 15 points? So, like, yeah. you know, you talk about, like, you know, that Rutgers game on Halloween where, you know, they had it in the bag and then just gave up that touchdown to Tim Brown and... You had, you had that great story about how he felt like, you know, you know, oh, Jasper, you know, I feel like he's like on my wings as I'm going in for the touchdown. And meanwhile, everyone in the stadium is just like, just, just like on their knees, just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Like that happened. The West Virginia was, was super painful. The UNC game where they like gave up that weird safety at the end or something. And yeah, the, they lose yeah. the pit on a, like a last second oh, field goal. Holding in the, in the end zone, I believe. Oh my God. I just, I remember just like leaving all those games and turning the TV off or whatever. And just being like, my God, like what the hell? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. And then, yeah. So that to- pit was, I think I forget exactly how that ended, but yeah, it was another, it, it really was odd. Cause you, you knew they were kind of good, but it's like, well, if you don't, you know, if you, you split some of these close games, you might be 10 and two. So yeah, exactly. And then so 2010, like you were just saying, like they had that weird start. They start three and four and the, you know, it kind of culminated in that loss to Louisville where, you know, I was talking with Kashif about this, where they just got their asses kicked. They, they lose 26 to nothing. And, you know, they just felt like, man, like, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, as a fan, you know, as a, you know, meanwhile, you and I obviously were like, you know, obviously we had certain expectations for the season. Certainly we had, well, we hoped for better than that. And then, do you remember the West Virginia game? I mean, you know, we kind of went into that game thinking like, this is kind of it. Like if they don't do something now and you know, they, I don't think they'd ever beaten West Virginia at that point. And if they had, it had been a while. So yeah. you, I don't know. Do you, that was, that was like one of my favorite games I've ever covered, you know, at any level. And uh, it, it's kind of almost like kind of lost in the shuffle now, but you remember how, how dope that game was? Yeah, no, I, cause even just, uh, like before I get too much into West Virginia, like I think um, even the feeling around that season covering it, like when it was the one year anniversary of Jasper Howard's death and, um, you know, we did the the commemorative issue and, and Matt was the one who did the Tim Brown story, like you said, but um, which I thought was the best thing he's ever written. And um, like it kind of my mind almost went from like, oh, they got to make the BCS to almost just like okay, this is the beat this year is a little different than I thought, but it's still good to do some of this stuff 
um, that's really important. And I remember going into that West Virginia game, like you said, I think it was, um, I, I think people were dressed as like costumes a lot in the stands, if I remember correctly. So it almost felt like, um, okay, like even the fan base has kind of like said, okay, they're disappointing. We're going to have fun tonight. And then the football team that night obviously made it where, like, okay, this season is kind of back on with actually beating West Virginia because that's one of the teams you knew if they're ever going to make the BCS, they've got to somehow beat them because in 2007, when even though we have the banner up at Rensselaer for Big East champions, you know, the reason West Virginia made the BCS was because they beat... UConn by, you know, what a 63-21 or whatever it was. I think West, West Virginia, Virginia just scored, scored again. again. Oh, geez, yeah. you, you owe me and, a Coke. <laughs> and, and this is where the season kind of turned in a way with West Virginia and Pitt being at home. And the previous year, Pittsburgh and Morgantown, they were so close to beating them. You kind of felt like, okay, if that one possession loss turns into one possession home win, they have the tiebreakers, and that's what ended up happening. Um, you know, with the the OT win with West Virginia, and then even the pick game with Edsel going for it on fourth um, down. So, yeah, it was something else. Uh, remember, remember when we watched the US uh, the USF game in your dorm room at the end of yes. that season? Was that the most stressful night of your life? I think it yeah. might have been for me. Yeah, because that was you know right before kind of the semester ended, and it was in Busby Suites. Um, you know, room 234. Uh, and um, I remember we, you know, we knew obviously, okay, th- this is the game to go. And we got Tostitos, chips and salsa, and I think some oranges, um, just in case that that was the bowl game they ended up at. And it was crazy because the floor, you know, people who um, might have loved going to Rensselaer Field to tailgate and um, have fun together, like it was kind of the first time in the three years being in stores that like the a road football game, um, you could feel the excitement like going up and down the, the hallways of dorms. Like previous years, I remember if they were on on like a Saturday night, you know, you'd watch some of it and people would be doing other stuff. Um, you know, if it was an away game, but this one really did feel huge, and um, I know. The same story was with the Fiesta Bowl, but them not scoring an offensive touchdown against USF where it was down to Tiger kicks and um, the defense making a, you know, getting a pick six and uh, just like the Fiesta Bowl and kind of eking it out um, was incredible. And it, and I think I always imagined if UConn had made the BCS, it would have been like, okay, they're at home, everyone rushes the field. Instead, it's, you know, a half-empty Raymond James Stadium um, where it's like Edsel gets a Gatorade bath and, okay, like, this is actually happening somehow. Yeah, I mean, God, just, like, the degree of difficulty. Like, that was a really tough game, and, like, they honestly kind of had no business winning it at, like, towards the end when it was, like, you know, South Florida, like, I don't know what their win percentage was, but it must have been very high at that point. And then, you know, you know the offense obviously didn't quite get it done, like, getting into the end zone, but Taggart making two 50 yard field goals in the fourth quarter, including a 52 yarder to send them to a BCS bowl. I mean, my God, like 
I don't. I feel like that should be a bigger deal. Like Dave Tecker is like one of the best like college football kickers, and I mean that I can think of. I mean, you know, how many guys out there who have like you know, performed like he did, and he did it a lot too. Like he had that that epic kick in the snow to beat USF the year before, yes. which is like one of my favorite you know sporting events I've ever been to. Just a that was so much fun. Absolutely yeah, no, wild no, scene. The, the, the Tiger kicks at home to beat USF in the snow the previous year, and then to beat West Virginia, and then like you said, um. You know, the offense had trouble finishing drives, so I think they even, um, Sean McDonough and Matt Millen said it during the Fiesta World broadcast that if you play the way UConn plays, you need a good kicker because you're going to be in close games and it's, you know, Northeast New England weather, you're going to have to struggle a little bit. Um, and he really was just, you know, like you said, as good as it gets, you see, even in some of these games, um, this year in the last few years, you watch some of these teams, um, you know, having to go for it in major conferences, uh, you know, because their kicker can't hit like a 35 yarder. Um, but it really does affect, you know, wins and losses, especially back in that old Big East where, um, you know, like the, the, the records were so close. I think USF was eight and five that year also. And you had like West Virginia, Pitt, us, um, Louisville, Syracuse, all with like winning records kind of close to one another. Yeah. You um, know, here's the irony of that too. Like that conference was treated as some sort of second tier also ran. And yet if you actually just take all the teams that were in like the big East football conference of our era and just put them together. Now I, I kind of feel like now that conference would get some, some, some decent respect. Cause like Louisville, West Virginia, you know, treated, you know, these days as like a legit, like top tier football programs. And, you know, like Syracuse, USF are all, you know, respectable. You know, Pitt is, you know, okay sometimes. Obviously, yeah. UConn would probably be at the bottom of the heap now. But, like, you know, that conference was solid. And UConn was basically right, you know, competing right with the best of all of them. You know, since at Cincinnati to the list, too. I mean, yeah. Like, yep. Oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, Cincinnati now is back to what it was. You know, if this were a Cincinnati podcast um, thinking back to their orange and sugar bowl teams, they'd be saying, well, we're back, um, which obviously, um, you know, well, I guess the Huskies went undefeated too, just like Cincinnati did this year, um, <laughs> technically speaking. But yeah, I think what's interesting with the broadcast too is Sean McDonough, I think because Fraser threw two pick sixes against Oklahoma, um, I think after one of them to maybe make it 34 to... 20, 34, 20. Like a, yeah something like that where kind of McDonough almost like Tense. even though it's the third quarter kind of says well it's a different level of football obviously what you're seeing here between Oklahoma and UConn but then near the end of the game when they're kind of wrapping up the broadcast as UConn gets to the two yet gets stopped on um, and got stopped couldn't, couldn't get that offensive touchdown they did say how the Big East is a good football league and said that you know it might not get the respect but it's still a good football conference. And what's crazy is they even talked about how TCU would be joining them, which I had completely forgot about. Yeah, them and Boise State and San Diego yeah. State, allegedly. By the way, uh, correction, it was 34 to 10. Uh, that was right before okay, Robbie yeah. Fry's kickoff return. Thanks, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that was so frustrating <laughs> when they, they couldn't at least get that one touchdown at the end. Yeah, uh, and especially for Todman, who had such a – I mean, you know, 143 yards per game. I think they listed it as like second in FBS or something. Like, 
Um, you know, they are, they had speculated it would be his last game and, and just how good he was that, um, you know, it's not Walter Payton, not, you know, not getting a touchdown and, um, the Bears Patriots Super Bowl, but it, it was like, okay, just try to punch this last one in. So we have like a, one feel good Todman offensive score one more time. Yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's, we can get back into that in some greater detail in a bit but yeah. before we yeah I, before we dive into the game too much I, I wanted to talk about just the experience of going to Arizona do you remember I, I'd forgotten about this but I cracked open my like you know f- the pictures I took my album from that week and like uh-huh. you remember we like flew in straight up on New Year's Eve I think we yes. landed in like what was it like nine o'clock at night on New Year's night and I, I want to say like it was it was not very long after like I think within two hours of where we landed you, you, me and Matt were just like in the middle of some random street party, like celebrating like new, you know, New Year's Day with just a bunch of wackos and some Yukon like, you know, super fans. I, I yeah. do you remember that? Because I, I was like completely blacked out of my memory and I, I swear <laughs> to God, I wasn't drinking or anything that night. Um, Yeah. What do you what, what, did, what do you remember about just like kind of that the kind of pregame sort of arrival vibe? Yeah, no, I mean, all of us were 20, I think. So being. And we were staying, you know, um, well, on like the Phoenix Tempe kind of like border area. So being 20 in Tempe is kind of, it's a tough, tough thing to be. Um, but I do remember it was like the, you know, Phoenix area, New Year's Eve block party. Jimmy Eat World, I think, was the band performing. Um, so I remember that. And I remember how it was like, my mom said to pack like extra clothes and I was like, well, we're going to the desert. And she's like, it's my, my dad had been out to Arizona for business and they were like, well, it gets cold at night. So I remember being cold and I kept thinking like, how is this Arizona? Um, Dude, it was cold, like straight up that whole week. It was was like in the thirties and forties the whole time we were there. Yes. And all I had was a Yukon hoodie. I think I didn't bring any jacket and it's, it, it was kind of, Landing, I remember, because, um, you know, the desert was kind of a, a geographic region I'd never been to. And I remember, um, you know, WHUS uh, broadcaster Adam Giardino, I remember him, like, texting me. Maybe he landed the day before and said that it, it feels like a different planet with, like, the red rocks, palm trees, and cactus. And, like, you really did get a sense, like, okay, did we just land in Mars? Um, because it was such a cool, like, experience to see that even when we'd, um, the next day when we went to the media hotel in Scottsdale and took the bus to Glendale and you really saw the, you know, the, the desert landscape, which I think somehow we snuck Matt onto the media bus, even though he was wearing like a, a Yukon Yankee conference throwback football jersey i'm glad you brought that up because that's one of my favorite memories of that trip because uh yeah i don't it wasn't a somehow we snuck him on literally it was as simple as basically me just or one of us i think it was me just going up to like the the person who was kind of checking people in and just being like hey so i'm just going to be straight with you um me and this guy we're with the we're with the media that's his brother he's going as a fan um can you just come on the bus because like uh i don't really know how else we're going to get him out to to glendale and she was just like pre-uber and that like that type of thing where it's like matt would be just on a scottsdale resort like wearing a yukon jersey not at the game yeah i I think i was like she she gave us both like pins that told us that we were media so i was like can you slip me one more of those and she was like i got you man (laughs) (laughs) yeah no and 
that was because I, I think even when we got to the stadium, again, I mean, it was just a, a whole – I'm so grateful the, for the experience because it just um, was such a unique thing to be a part of through, you know, UConn football. But I, I think even um, some of the other beat guys – from the current, like, you know, Dez or, or Boyer and even some of the other guys, um, like even like, you know, the late Chip Malafronte from the Haven Register, I think when they saw us get there, since we kind of weren't at a ton of the, the pre-game stuff because, you know, we flew there New Year's Eve, like you said the day before, they kind of said how awesome it was that we made it, like how we're student reporters getting to go to this, um, you know, and... Uh, looking back, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, not just for us being juniors at UConn there, but even just for the daily campus. Um, you know, like, uh, so that whole experience, you know, even besides the game was kind of just as important, if not more important. And even, um, you know, the night before, because, um, you know, when we got there and you're walking around Tempe and you see... Um, you know, the Oklahoma fans, some UConn fans, and then even, I believe, was the national title game with Auburn, Oregon in in Arizona that same year where, like, there was even, like, shorts with the Fiesta Bowl and the upcoming national title game. So you really felt like you were in the heart of the college football landscape, um, you know, because you were in Arizona where all this stuff was happening. And even you felt kind of close to L.A. where the Rose Bowl, where TCU beat Wisconsin. I remember watching that in the press box and then the Fiesta Bowl starting and you felt like almost like we would eventually feel at NCAA tournament games where like, wow, this is really the hub of the sport right now. Yeah, I mean, we I remember this happened a lot during like the Big East tournament where we just start randomly seeing like Michael Wilbon and, you know, Stephen A. Smith and guys like that. I'm just like, oh, hey, wow. That's a, that's kind of cool. I, I think the, the biggest one for for me, I, I this was this didn't happen at the Fiesta Bowl, but when we saw Bob Ryan at the NCAA tournament, I like at one point like I was like going on an elevator and he just walked in and I'm just like just panicking like, uh, what, what do I say? And I ended up saying nothing because I was like a coward. But no, it's, it's it is still very cool, and that's I mean, and even for you, like obviously, you've now been able to cover, you know, Patriots Super Bowls, but um. Like, I still think of myself as, like, that was one of the biggest games I ever got to work at, even if, you know, Oklahoma kind of took UConn um, to the woodshed. But it was still just such a momentous thing for them to run out of the tunnel, um, you know, like, and all that that experience that led up to it. Because even now, with what we see with Bulls during the pandemic, that other experience for the players, the staff their families, friends, you know, that is kind of more important than the game. Like, oh, we're in a BCS bowl game. We're getting, you know, all this, these gifts and all these experiences. So like that kind of this year will be lost for some of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I feel like UConn doesn't get as much kind of credit as they deserve just for being there. Cause like, uh, frankly, a lot of people almost hold the appearance against them when really it was just such a cool experience and such a cool accomplishment. And like, you know, just being there, you just felt it. it was just, it was just a lot of fun. Like, also, not gonna lie, the, I, I even I mentioned this with with Kashif before. I love that it was a Tostitos sponsor and not some insurance company because 
Dude, they throw chips at us everywhere we went. It was awesome. Yes. They're like, oh, here, here's some experimental stuff that like nobody yes. hasn't been released yeah, that yet. Wasn't in stores. Yes. Oh my like, god. Yeah, because she was saying, yeah, people were like, you know, munching on that stuff like in the week before the game and getting themselves sick. I'm like, yeah, I can buy that. I I do that a couple of times too. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. Um, like, and obviously with what happened with Tostitos and the sponsorship after, um, you know, now I don't even, is it Vizio? It's been like a PlayStation. It's been a ton of different. PlayStation wouldn't uh, have been a bad one either. Not going to lie. But it was like one year it was like something yeah. weird, like, like something Battletoad. And I'm like, what, what is that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That was, yep, that right. was, I saw that once and I was just like, I don't legit don't know what that is. And I definitely would have preferred Tostitos. So <laughs> anyway um yeah tostitos you can sponsor this podcast if you want uh hit me up uh whatever <laughs> <laughs> um dude a lot of people came to this game you know and honestly like i, I i'm probably as have as much to do with this as anybody but like you kind of got a lot of hate because like they didn't sell a lot of tickets but like nobody sold a lot of tickets it was like the system was set up in a way to, it was like the schools have to buy the tickets from these like these games and literally it's just like just a way of protecting a bunch of suits from you know losses and kind of making universities foot the bill but you know when we were there like UConn there were UConn fans at the game you know a lot of them were smart and they like you know bought off eBay or StubHub or whatever but like what do you remember just like how you know good a turnout UConn actually got if you were there yeah so um because even you know 2010, 2011 for the daily campus was a huge year thanks to the sports teams. Like, but even your eventual story about, which was a big deal for our whole staff. You you reporting on the loss, financial losses, like I mentioned earlier. Matt's um, reporting with Jasper Howard, Tim Brown stuff. Um, obviously, it was kind of just great to be a part of that for the daily campus. But for um, this game, thinking to like the crowd, um, I, I know we only had what pregame passes on the field and then we were in the press box the rest of the time although it we UConn was outnumbered um there was still a lot of blue and white like behind that like red zone end zone or whatever they call it it was split with I think Matt sat there with a couple um students who made the trip out too and it was a decent section and even on Dwayne Gratz's touchdown you could see people jumping up and down and then there was that the UConn side did have people that even watching the broadcast, um, you could see, you know, see and fee- uh, feel that crowd there. I do remember when the teams ran out and, um, you know, UConn running out uh, and obviously Kashif more running out on the number six jersey was special. And like you could hear the UConn fans. Then when Oklahoma did come out with the Sooner Schooner and all the pageantry, I do remember there roar was a lot more thunderous but like you said for it being in arizona if it were the orange bowl in miami maybe uconn would have done even better but you know it's it's still during the holiday season it's um you know connecticut to arizona is not an easy trip um it it was still a a, i think a good showing for for uconn and their fans and a lot of people who still follow the team to this day like that was you know, the trip they wanted to go on, it's a major New Year's Bowl game, even if it was kind of a, a far flight. Um, you know, I thought UConn was pretty well represented. 
Um, you know, even thinking back to how the, the schools do it for the final four, um, you know, 2011, I was in the student section for the, you know, the national championship and how it wasn't all UConn students there either. So, you know, even though UConn football might be looked at as well, they're not anything. They're not a traditional team. UConn basketball is a traditional team and getting to Houston on a Monday night in April and Saturday final four is not easy as well. So it's kind of a, like you said, the system overall, whether it's just, um, you know, the allotment asking schools, okay, you got to sell these and even to the schools, how they can transport students, fans, alumni, um, you know, I know each school is different, but I think I don't think it's any one question or one problem or the other. I think it's a combination of things with the game and the schools themselves. Yeah, because Arizona is too far to bus people. Like if they had been in the Orange Bowl, <laughs> yeah. you could have sent like, you know, 45 buses, pack them full of people, get them down to the game. I mean, I, you know, if for student, well, for, for students, like, you know, you, you could offer that for free, basically. And all the students have to worry about is buying tickets and just say, or actually even better, that maybe this is how you avoid the StubHub problem. Just say, all right, tickets are, I don't know, what is it, $60 or whatever, you know, maybe $80 and say, all right, just hop on the bus and that's all. Like, as opposed to yeah. what, like, it costs like $1,000 to like, or something crazy yeah. like that to get a round trip flight to Arizona. You could, yeah, yeah. The, UConn could have really banged that place out in the Orange Bowl. So this is a little unfortunate, but, you know, I, just we remember there was like that big fan fest going on outside the stadium. And I thought that was awesome. Like the Oklahoma fans were super cool. Like there was definitely no like, you know, kind of elitist kind of, you know, what are you guys even doing here? Kind of, you know, snide vibe. Like they'd been there to the Fiesta Bowl like a a bunch of times over the last couple of years before that. And so for them, it was kind of, I mean, kind of old hat basically. So they like all just kind of rolled up in there and now the Yukon fans are just, you know, loving it, you know. And so those guys are just like, all right, well, this is kind of cool. Like, you know, just soak it in and enjoy it. So I, I definitely, it definitely had a cool vibe in that respect. You know, you certainly, it, I imagine it would have been a very different story if they had somehow randomly been like UConn versus Duke or something like that, where you have kind of traditional basketball powers and where all the fans are just like, you guys are going to die, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, because even the, the weird dynamic too um even watching the broadcast is how oklahoma had lost five straight bcs bowls so including you know the boise state class you know classic um upset and even west virginia had beaten them so i don't know maybe if some oklahoma fans it's like okay we kind of like you know yes obviously they're one of the top 10 college football programs in history but because they had lost in Fiesta Bowls to teams that, like, they're obviously historically better than. I'm not sure if that played into, okay, we better be nice to UConn just in case they pull some monumental upset. But, yeah, it, it was just nice, uh, even though we weren't tailgating um, technically. But to go to that fan fest, I know Matt had, you know, a good time. And I think we even saw um, a family of uh, that's from Hamden who um, we actually – went to um, some Yale games with them, but they were UConn alums. They're, they still go to every game at Rensselaer, and seeing them um, who, you know, they are huge UConn football fans, seeing them tailgating in that parking lot in Arizona um, was kind of cool, too, for, like, like how far that 
the UConn football program had gotten. Um, and I think I do think Matt said one Oklahoma fan told him it wasn't women's basketball. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I think everyone was nice, which I, I think Matt might have said, like, obviously, you know, we're wearing football stuff. We know it's not women's basketball, which UConn got Oklahoma in one of the national title games um, in women's basketball. But, yeah, it, it's that's where, like, I wonder how a major bowl game between traditional powers would be. And in some senses, you know, it might – be similar with kind of the hierarchy of college football today. You know, even Notre Dame has not gone close to winning one of these major bowl games since like the 94 Cotton Bowl. Ohio State, you know, say what you want about them this year, which I've said a little bit. Um, Clemson and Alabama are still almost their own tier, whereas like, you know, LSU got, got through it last year, but like is there still, you know, that hierarchy of like, okay, Alabama and Clemson – we're obviously better than you. Like, let's just be nice and hang out. Or is it kind of still like, like you said, for a classic basketball game, like, is there, you know, some more, um, like venom toward the fans or is it, is it more of a relaxed tailgate? That would be something cool to kind of find out eventually. Um, Oh, you know, we'd have to go to non UConn game to find that out, but I'm sure uh, just the, the history between the, the programs probably plays into it as much as anything. I mean, we know yeah. how it goes in basketball. Like if UConn and Duke play, it's on, you know, if yeah. UConn plays, uh, Gonzaga, for instance, I'm sure that would be a much more cordial situation, even if the teams themselves are both, you know, terrific and with a lot of history. So, you know, I guess, uh, it was it was it was really fun just to be a part of that, and then obviously the yeah. game itself. Like Dwayne Gratz's pick six, man. I mean, is that like I think I was I was actually thinking about this earlier. You know, obviously the festival was the peak of UConn football, and frankly, it's all, honestly kind of all been downhill ever since. But yes. was Dwayne Gratz's pick just like the absolute highest of heights UConn football ever got? Yes, I agree a hundred percent. So as as much as like you said, um, you know the the. 52-yard field goal um, to send them there. Uh, Dwayne Gratz's pick, um, you know, they were down 14 to nothing. So, and like we said, they didn't score an offensive touchdown. So it kind of felt like, okay, they might get run out of this building. Um, And it kept them respectable in the game. But A, pick sixes, and and you know this obviously from being a fan and, and covering the NFL, like, if there's a pick six in a game, it's a big deal, even though Oklahoma got two, so kind of canceled it out. But for Dwayne Gratz to kind of run into the UConn end zone, um, I think um, the call by Sean McDonough was Gratz has nothing but green grass in front of him. Um, and, like, I think he said, like, touchdown Connecticut or something. That is the, the highlight for me in UConn football history. Um, and... Gratz's celebration almost looked like he couldn't believe he scored. Like he dropped the ball and then was holding his hands out and then putting them on his helmet and the players were going nuts. And it was in front of kind of um, our, you know, student section, if you will, where he ran down back into the bench. Um, So even though, you know, we're losing, that play was just incredible. And obviously as um, Patriots fans, you know, we know a a 24 – number quarterback having a pick six in a big game or even just a pick is um, awesome. Uh, you know, like Ty Law or even now Gilmore. But um, for Gratz, it's like, 
Uh, that play kind of was, okay, we've scored a touchdown on New Year's Day against Oklahoma. And even though the rest of the game and the next decade um, was not as pretty as that play, it's still, I agree 100%. That's like, when I think of the, the top of the top, that's it. Yeah, because like, I just remember at the time being like, oh my God. They, they might be able to pull this off <laughs> like yeah. it was still yes. like it was still pretty early in the game and you just have that sense of being like oh man what what's gonna happen now and you know what people forget like obviously Oklahoma was clearly the better team and they were in control the whole time but you know people who remember this as some kind of epic blowout it, it really wasn't that like it wasn't that big a deficit for UConn really until the very very end where, you know, you have, I, I talked about this with uh, Kashif in pretty good detail, so we don't need to cover the play-by-play, but, like, UConn was only down by two touchdowns for most of the game. It was, like, you know, a seven-point game after the pick six. It was a ten-point game at halftime. And then after Robbie Fry's kickoff return, I think it was, like, there was a field goal right after, too. So it was, they got back to they got back to 14 points, and then with, like, I don't know. They had the ball like early in the fourth quarter and then the defense had stopped Oklahoma like three or four times in a row. So you're thinking, man, it is not that crazy to imagine that if UConn like scores a touchdown on this drive, we might be in store for a really wild finish. And, you know, it didn't play out that way, but like, you know, some really crappy luck too. Like you have a couple of like, you know, stops on fourth and inches that uh, don't go UConn's way. And, you know, a couple of big plays by Oklahoma and the the two pick sixes were just like, oh, what do you like? You, no, to have it happen twice in one game where you bobble it right into the dude's hands and he takes it the other way, like that was, yeah. uh, that was so bad. That's the part that kills me. Like if those plays don't happen, you know, it's it's it, it, at the very least it's semi-respectable, and you're just like, God, what is what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, no, and I remember in the second half, like some of those drives where it's like, okay, well if they score here, this next Oklahoma drive would be important that if we get a stop, we're within one possession or whatever. And then it's like, okay, now it's edge of your seat. Can they actually do this? Even if, um, you know, they didn't make it a crazy ending. And I think, too, the other thing, when you see, you know, UConn, um, you know, their first defensive possession or first Oklahoma possession, they go down the field and score. So the Sooners, it's like, okay, here we go. Like, we're not as good as they are. Um but then UConn moved the ball on the second drive down the field. And like you mentioned, the fourth down, one of the fourth down stops came then. And that's a decision where like in the 10 years since when I've thought about it, I go back and forth because yes, you knew you had to score to keep up with Oklahoma and, you know, field goals will beat USF, but not Oklahoma at the same time. You kick, if Edsel kicked it, you get on the board, it's 7-3. to three. You hope your defense can step up and, like, maybe some feel good from the offense. All right, we went down and scored. Um, like, that's a decision where it could go either way, depending on your thought process in those situations. Because, yes, you want to score the touchdown, but it was so early on and, and Tiger got you there. It's almost like, okay, they give him a chance to, like, okay, we're on the board now in the Fiesta Bowl, 7-3, and three. it's a more normal game than almost possibly panicking a little bit too early and say, Oh my gosh, if we don't keep pace here, we're done. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm not mad about it. Like you have Jordan Todman and you know, it's fourth and inches. I, no matter what the situation is, I mean, 
Jordan Todman, even against a team like Oklahoma, you're going to bet on him at least getting one inch. It didn't work out that way, obviously, pretty consistently throughout the game. But like, you know, that's he's the guy who got you there, really. And I think it would have been it would have been a feel good moment to get a field goal, but you needed a touchdown. So it's whatever. I it just it didn't work out for him. That's just as simple as that. Yeah. But um, you know, whatever. I mean, obviously, like a lot, a lot could have gone better in this game. But it is what it is. And ultimately, I think UConn is kind of their the perception of that game and that whole weekend is a little unfairly colored. Uh, and obviously, a lot of that is in part because of what happened after. Um, you know, obviously, Randy Edsel's <laughs> departure kind of overshadowed a lot of the goodwill that came from this game and kind of kind of stunted a lot of the momentum. Um, you, I remember in the press conference, you know, you and I were there when Jordan Todman made his, uh, you know, announcement that he was going pro. You, uh, I think you told me a whole bunch of times in the years since how, you know, you kind of wanted to ask Randy about uh, whether he'd stick around or not. What do you, you know, let's, let's talk about that for a bit. What do you, what do you remember about that whole, that whole spiel? Yeah, no, I know I make this joke um, too much and all the time, but if I had asked that question, maybe I would be you know, with you still in Boston, still writing. But no, I <laughs> I think um, thinking back to that press conference when, and this is where, you know, you could kind of criticize Edsel because he had Todman tell the team in the locker room and then he had Todman tell the media. And um, I did think after, you know, everyone said, okay, Todman's, you know, gone and Todman made his announcement that I wanted to ask kind of a general question in a sense that could lead Edsel to talking about his future as well as UConn's, because obviously getting to that BCS bowl game, um, you know, him coaching through what would have been Jasper Howard's last game and all his class that got through that tragedy the year before and reached this epic height. What is the future going to look like for UConn and yourself? And the other thing is, you know, we still see it today where a lot of coaches, they will leave in between the, um, you know, whether conference championship or regular season and the bowl game. And sometimes it frustrates me because you have like guys who like, you know, like the Northern Illinois coach didn't coach the orange bowl because he wanted the job at NC state. And it's like, you, you haven't gotten back to that point. So I was glad Edsel didn't leave before getting to that high top point that he built to, you know, over 12 years with UConn. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I had asked something, along the lines of like, what does the future hold for you and, and this UConn football team now that you've reached the Fiesta Bowl and, you know, what is next, basically. And I didn't ask it, um, but, you know, I'm not sure how far I would have gotten, you know, what Edsel would have said anyway. Well, no matter what um, he said, it would have been interesting because either he would yeah. have announced that he was leaving and going to Maryland or he would have lied and the next day just be like, oh, yeah. by the way, peace out. I'm, I'm gone. Either way, it would yeah. have been it would have been big. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of my many mistakes in college. And, uh, you know, I've made more since. But um, and before that. But it is like like you said, that is what kind of has led to, um, you know, even until. Edsel coming back and even still some fans are not the most happy with him dating back to that, um, you know, point where it wasn't just the fact that Edsel leaves. It's, it wasn't just the fact that Edsel, um, you know, left or didn't go back to Connecticut with the team. It was the, also to me that Jordan Todman was kind of egged on by Edsel to announce it to the media and to the team 
And, you know, Todd, Todman is the college kid making a huge decision, which must, you know, it must be tough to say goodbye to your friends and teammates and say what you're doing next. Um, we all go through that in our lives. And for Edsel, the adult, the leader of the whole football program to not do the same is still something that I think, even though we have moved forward separate now together, you could still criticize him for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I'm sure it was a tough situation for him to navigate anyway. I think we can all yeah. agree. It would have been better if he'd at least said something before the game or to the team privately, or just what I, you know, just at least kind of, so it didn't come that much out of left field, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I think ultimately it is a good thing. He at least stayed to coach the game. Cause it, you know, oh, yes, that would have been yes. pretty, that would have been kind of tough, you know, to just reach that point and just be like, peace out. I'm going to Maryland or something. Um, yeah, I don't know how you, you know, as a, um, you know, as someone who coaches uh, youth basketball now, it's, you know, you, you work so much with your players to get to that end point, no matter what it is that you want to see things through. And um, like you said, Fredzel, um, like to go to Maryland and then he never got, he hasn't gotten close to reaching that point again. It would have been kind of foolish in a sense. Yeah. Do Colin, do you still have your articles from the festival week? Um, I think, cause I know we talked, you know, the previous podcast, you and Matt and myself, how during the early stages of quarantine, we cleared a lot of stuff out of the basement and garage, but I think we have some of them, but I do not have them with me. Why? Well, I just asked it because it occurred to me that the, uh, well, the festival was played over winter break. So there, there wasn't actually a print like story on the game and the, the website's kind of gone over a bunch of renovations yeah. and stuff. So that stuff's not available online either. Uh, as far as I know, at least I could be wrong, but the only place that my like game story, for instance, still exists is in my like notes in my like documents folder. I just pulled wow. it up and I just was kind of reading through it. And A, I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm debating whether I should be impressed or, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, disturbed by my work because I'm just like, man, like, I would have done it a lot differently now for sure. <laughs> but on the other hand, there's some good stuff here. Like I, I just kind of was scrolling through and, you know, Jordan Todman, you know, I, I, I must have just asked him about his experience in the game and he goes and starts and quotes Jasper Howard. And he says, our motto is to play every play like it's our last. And I felt like we did, you know, he's, I think I, I'm, I, I was made that quote right after the um, Robbie Fry's uh, kickoff touchdown. So, you know, they give him credit for this. Like they, they made plays to kind of keep pace up until they, you know, kind of ran out of time. And he's like, there are times where we're down. A lot of people would have uh, want to give up and just lay back and put their head down. And I felt like we kept our heads up and we played every play like it's our last until the clock hit zero. I'm proud of my, my teammates and my brothers and everybody out there competing and trying their best to win this game. You know, you got to give UConn this much. They competed against a su- obviously superior team. So, you know, it's yeah, a- no, that, that's great. Yeah. And, and that is true because, you know, there are times, you know, you're a little outmatched, so you can't, um, you know, they just had the best season in school history. So if you sulk, oh my gosh, we lost Oklahoma. It is kind of tough to say, okay, well, you know, you just weren't as good and, and they executed better. They made bigger plays. Yeah. So, do you remember the next morning, like when we uh, we found out about Edsel? <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I know you know we've traveled um, together a good amount, and I, I know that I uh, I really appreciate my sleep. So I think you were up before <laughs> uh, Matt and I, and I think you woke us up, or we were just kind of getting ourselves going 
when the news hit, if I'm not mistaken, because we hadn't left the room yet at all. And then it was kind of like, okay, like this is stunning. And then also, um, you know, we got to kind of work writing some things for the website. Yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember that morning just being absolute chaos. I, I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but I do remember I was the one who told you guys. I'm, or, yeah. I'm just like, hey, uh, guys, I got some bad news. And then you two were just like, <laughs> like the sky is falling. Like, oh my God, what are we going to do? It's like, all right, well, I guess we should start making some phone calls, first of all. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. I remember that morning being, uh, being pretty, pretty wild. Uh, definitely a good, you know, breaking news, uh, you know, practice. That's the sort of thing they don't really, I mean, they try to teach us in journalism school, but you know, that's not the sort of thing that just kind of happens most of the time. Um, Colin, I got to actually ask you a question. Um, did I ever tell you what else happened that morning? Uh, I think there was something else that kind of went on that morning that I'm now I think about it. I think I may have kept from you guys because I didn't want to upset you guys anymore. No, now, now I'm really worried and nervous. Oh man. So yeah, so this is, yeah. So not to get super dark, but like that morning, I actually also found out that like my grandfather back home had passed away. And I remember just being like, all right, well this sucks. Cause I knew it was coming. It was, it was, he'd been ill for a while, but then the news breaks. I forget whether it ha- I found out before or after Edsel, but I remember distinctly being like, okay, well, a, I can't really be distracted by this. And B, I can't tell the McDonough's because they're already upset enough as it is. <laughs> So that was no Mac. I think I think you did years later say that it might have been. It could have even been when we were like living in Boston uh, over you know a beer or something. But a you know very sorry about that again. B I think it just shows you as a reporter and friend looking out for us. Um, you know, man, I are fortunate. All our friends do a little more for us than we do for them, and especially when it comes to. Uh, life events or sports events they always take care of us and, and you're included in that with that and that's a you know incredible job to work through that and um you know i think it's just like that that's the reason why you're so good because you, you were able to say okay i have to do this and then you when you got back from arizona you you know I'm sure um, got through it with with your family. Yeah, but, well, yeah that is what a gosh, that is a morning. I, I yeah, it was. I appreciate that, and you know, thank you. You don't need to pump my tires, obviously, because <laughs> you know it's. I just I just bring it up just because it reminded me. Just if it was, you know, it's been about ten years now, so that anniversary has kind of been coming up yeah. within my own household, obviously, and you know, it just reminded me of just how wild, like, just like you know, obviously we think of these sporting events and stuff, and just kind of you know, focus on that. But a lot of stuff happens around them too. Do you remember, this is, I, this is a subject I'm sure we'll talk about when we do our, probably our 10 year retrospective of the Big East tournament. But you remember the night that Kemba hit the shot to beat Pitt? Like a couple hours later, you and I are back at your house in Hamden and that like earthquake hit Japan. And so yes. we're just like up at two in the morning watching like footage of that tsunami, just being like, you know, it was legit. I honestly think the craziest thing I've ever seen on TV, like live footage of something like that. And I, I don't know, I just remembered like just some of the wild things that just happened, like kind of on the periphery of these like, you know, big memorable sporting events, you know, do you remember, you remember that? Oh yeah. I remember that. Cause I think we were kind of, we were almost like going to bed, but we were still a little wired from the, the train back from New York. And then that happened. And I think we stayed up another like couple hours just because we were like, Oh my gosh. Um, and just had it on CNN. Yeah, you're right. It, it is weird how um, 
you know, and obviously this year is such a huge example of that with the pandemic, with, um, you know, like racial justice protests with all these things that sports have kind of come back and are still going on, obviously, but it's always through the lens of either your own personal family and, and, um, you know, your own personal, like, house and and loved ones situations as well as society at large which kind of makes sports very secondary or tertiary yet at the same time also gives some more meaning to sports as either an escape or to have a special moment to honor someone or to try to help you through a situation that is tough for you or society at large yeah so, man, it's just thinking back to like 10 years, like you and I have obviously we've done a lot of living ever since then. Um, just keeping it strictly to sports like you and I have both. We've been so blessed, like even like months later, like, you know, we do the festival. It's this once in a lifetime opportunity. And then like, what is it like three months later, we're in New York for the Biggies tournament, which is like. I mean, I don't know. You want to rank like, you know, most memorable UConn experiences. The 2011 Biggies Tournament, you can make a strong case it's number one on the list just for what that season and what that run meant. And obviously, you know, then we had the NCAA tra- championship. And then, you know, we, you know, as fans and stuff and, just you know, just Boston, New York, Connecticut adjacent sports fans. And you also have the Patriots winning three Super Bowls. You have, you know, the Celtics and the Bruins kind of have – you know, the, the Bruins won a championship a couple months later. The Celtics are in, in it a lot. You know, the Red Sox win two more World Series. You know, you're a Yankees fan, so you have, you know, the Yankees kind of doing their thing all along. And, you know, before and after, like, we've just been so blessed with stuff with stuff like that. Do you – I'm going to ask a very difficult question. Where do you rank UConn football's Fiesta Bowl season kind of on your list of just most memorable sporting events and sporting experiences as just, a, you know, as – I don't know, just as you personally. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, to quote the former Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady, the most important one's always the next one. And I'm hopeful the next one is a Celtics championship. I think, you know, baseball men and I are very content. Um, you know, like uh, the Patriots, now that they're going into a new era, um, you know, it's kind of like we have to be realize how fortunate we are you know, and even UConn basketball and UConn football, like I think basketball, obviously you hope they get good again and they are on that way to make it more entertaining. Um, but, you know, as a UConn fan, student alum, we've seen so much that you realize you have to just kind of hang back and be fortunate. And even in man, my uh, own, you know, infamous playing careers and coaching careers, we've done so much that we've been very lucky to be a part of great teams. So for me personally, the only thing missing is another Celtics or two, but that makes it easy to rank because I think when I think of UConn football, although it's not a winning at all situation, you know, because that obviously will never happen. um, Like this was the high point. So I think personally um, for me, just it's the top college football experience and college football is one of my favorite sports to really enjoy to watch. So, um, and even from a personal standpoint, you know, the, the UConn football team, um, my first college class, um, elementary discrete mathematics, I was in class with Jonathan, John Louis, Gary Wilburn and the late Jasper Howard. I had classes with Mo Petras, um, you know, even 
with our intramural flag football teams and intramural basketball teams, we had some more contact with, you know, like even Johnny McEntee and Scott Lutris and people coming to some of our games. Um, you know, and I remember they even stole some gloves from Shankman to give us. Um, Mo Petrus did that, I think. And then they came and watched us lose 40 to nothing in flag football. And I told Mo Petrus, you know, we've seen you get blown out a few times too. But yeah, even <laughs> like, like these guys, it's crazy because although UConn's a basketball school, UConn basketball is what you think of first. For me personally, the football team really did make an impact on me personally with, you know, the death of Jasper Howard, getting to know some of these football players as kind of students first, where I know people have certain stereotypes, but I remember doing a group pro- project in a math class with Mo Petrus, and and um, he, we each had to do part of it, and he just said, Colin, the part you did is terrible. I'm just going to put your name on it. Don't worry about it. And you think of like these, like, you know, stereotypes you have of athletes. And it was the complete opposite. I remember, um, you know, talking to like Jonathan, John Louis, a good amount, even, I don't think we ever linked up since, but even when, you know, Matt and I were living in Dorchester, I talked to him a couple of times since he's up there. Um, and like staying in touch social media. And obviously, you know, a guy like Kashif Moore, it was such a nice group of people, you know, uh, Mo Petrus and I had, I think, geology together the next year. And it was like, we were just two students sitting in the back of geology class, not understanding anything going on. Um, you know, and then I'd see Mo, you know, after class at the, um, press conference. And then he just tell me, you know, if you, stop putting your ugly picture next to your columns, more people would read it. So like it was just a great dynamic. Um, so it really did mean a lot to me to not only cover the team, obviously, um, to like feel a, a slight ownership with those guys. And I know I'm probably forgetting some, Oh, CO Moore even was a great guy. And he had class with Matt senior year and he would call Matt, at like 7 a.m. every like Tuesday and Thursday for like Shakespeare notes. And Matt had senioritis. And obviously, um, you know, that was like nights after the D.C. So Matt would be half asleep. And I remember at Huskies one time, C.O. Moore um, thought I was Matt. And he like came up and gave me a huge hug thinking I was Matt. And C.O. Moore literally bear hugging me as hard as he could with that strength, it, I thought I was going to like pop. It was the worst like <laughs> physical pain ever. You hit him but with again, the twin magic, like, dude. That's pain. that's good. Yeah. No, I mean these are just the anecdotes of just a really nice group of players who I'm glad we were able to see them accomplish such a, a high point because you know you talk about UConn basketball or the Celtics or Patriots or you know. Red Sox, Yankees, Bruins, whoever you want to talk about with fanhood or like these classic teams, UConn football isn't that. You know, it doesn't have the history that a lot of Boston or New York teams have or UConn men's and women's basketball in this in Connecticut. So for fans like that, Fiesta Bowl is kind of just um, like a singular memory. Like we talked about, you know, you want to add to this certain tradition of these other sports teams. UConn football does want to add to that, but it's kind of something that you 
you can't really get back to again in some senses as well. So it's such a, it's kind of a singular moment in a sense that really is so unique compared to all the other sports memories and experiences we've had. Yeah, we were really we were really blessed with that. And honestly, like thinking back about the Fiesta Bowl really kind of reminded me of just what UConn football meant to me back then. Like it's probably not an exaggeration to say that I one of the only reasons I even went to UConn was because they had Division One football. Like, I know that sounds yeah. super bad, but like, let's, let's be honest. Like I was a big sports guy and I wanted to be on like, you know, like I probably, if like, it wasn't so far away, I probably would have gone to Penn state because that's where my parents both went. You know, that's kind of, oh, yeah. I like wanted that, you know, I, I went to like a smaller Catholic uh, private high school. So I just wanted to go to like a big, you know, school with a lot of pride, a big football team and good athletics. And, you know, UConn was really, you know, UConn and BC were really the only schools around New England that offered that. And, you know, I wound up at UConn and I'm so glad I did. I, you know, met you guys. I met all my friends. I met my, you know, my future wife. And, you know, frankly, yeah. from a sports perspective, I certainly I got like my investment paid off there, you know, between football and basketball and everything else. And, you know, just but like, yeah, just like getting to know those guys like those those guys are awesome. They, they are all, all awesome. And, you know, a lot of them did end up going on to go pro. Like, I think I counted like something like. I don't know, like a third of all of UConn's NFL players played during that era while we were there, you know, Yeah. just, you know, a lot of, I su- believe that, yeah. a lot of super talented guys and just going to tailgate those games. And then obviously when we started covering the games, it was like, you know, it was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. It's so, so it was a good time. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm almost like, you know, I, I wish that like UConn football stayed at least relevant. Cause like on some level, I feel like I've kind of lost that, but like, you just know that now, now that UConn's independent, they're going to be playing more interesting games. They already seem to be recruiting better. The recruiting class they just brought in seems pretty good. And, you know, it's if they start winning again, like, it's going to come back. And, like, I mean, it's probably not – hopefully in a, sometimes in the near future, hopefully I'll have some kids to bring to these games, to you know, on my own and you know, have some stories for them. Just be like, yeah, I used, when I was in – you know, I used to tailgate out here. used to see UConn actually win games out here. <laughs> Tell them about just like the the Notre Dame game and the the Rutgers game where I cried <laughs> and all that kind of good yeah. stuff. It's uh, no, I I agree with that. Um, like I think independence will be fun. Like being, you know, before the pandemic, like you kind of alluded to, the scheduling and recruiting um, kind of brought some excitement. So before the canceled season, it did feel like okay, UConn football's trending in the right direction. Um, you know, even looking ahead to next year. The, the Yale game, when Yale comes to East Hartford, um, I think it's October next year, October 21st, which would probably be homecoming, depending on the vaccine and fans, if that would be almost like one of the more normal events, um, as long as we're all healthy and safe until then. Um, that would be incredible because, you know, Matt and I being from Hamden, we w- would go to the Yale Bowl along on New Haven. We actually went to the last... Yale football game played on, uh, you know, when they beat Harvard, um, you know, last season to win the Ivy League. And that would be just so cool to see that Connecticut rivalry back and almost just excitement if, if fans are allowed to go and um, the season happens, like we all hope, where, okay, like this could be a good kind of um, post pandemic, hopefully, back into some fun sporting events. And like you said, then. In the coming years, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll, um, you know, I, I'll probably stay in Connecticut most likely, or at least 
the the close region um and you know to be able like you know you're you're already halfway there but to you know be able to uh get married have kids and bring them to Rensselaer Field on a nice fall Saturday with your friends and fellow alums and just reminisce even if the team is not good if they're somewhat competitive and winning more games which you know won't be too hard depending on how you know, they can bounce back. Um, it would just be an enjoyable UConn football experience where I think, you know, I know there's a lot of UConn football fans who um, are still very much into the program and, and the health and future of it. And obviously that's great. Um, and, you know, we are too as well. But I think, um, you know, like looking back at this Fiesta Bowl, the 10-year anniversary special, uh, you kind of do at least – for my, my own opinion, think like, okay, seeing it just as um, a memory of what was something so special, knowing that it's it's very tough to get back to that point, but if we could at least get some more enjoyment out of UConn football as fans and alums, then, then that'll be a really positive step for, you know, just not just to say, okay, I can't wait to hang out with friends back at Renter Field, but to you know, kind of have just an overall good game day experience post pandemic, and hopefully with a winning team. Yeah, you know, just like playing competitive games against interesting opponents, I, I think it'll do- make a world of difference. So, I think uh, you know, I have high hopes for the future, which is something I certainly couldn't have said much in the last decade. But either way, you know, UConn football was was so much fun, and uh, I just hope that that's something that even if we're not competing for championships or much of anything like that. You know, it's a, it's a, it adds a lot to the school and I hope that we'll get to a point where people see it that way again. Colin, dude, thanks so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, no, this was great. Thanks for having me back on Mac. And um, like you said, before we even started, like our small talk is, is a, a podcast anyway. Um, so this was really fun to record it and um, you know, it'll be fun to kind of, see how this off season goes for football. But in the meantime, watch some big East uh, basketball uh, virtually together and, and text during games has been fun. So I'd like to keep that going as well. And yeah, happy holidays to everyone. Stay safe and healthy. And hopefully, um, you know, there's good times ahead for all of us. I certainly endorse all of what you just said and all of you guys out there. Thank you for sticking with us throughout this uh, interesting year of 2020. We will be back in the new year, 2021, and uh, hopefully we'll have some decent UConn basketball to talk about. Um, we're recording this on December 23rd, of course, so uh, I am not even going to try to pretend to know who and when UConn is going to play by then so we'll hopefully they'll play DePaul maybe they'll even play somebody else maybe they won't play at all we'll just have to see but anyway thank you guys all so much for supporting the show we really appreciate it if you guys want to follow Colin you can follow him on Twitter at McDTwin2 and uh, you know he he's your guy if you want Celtics and just random thoughts on whatever the, whatever is on Colin's mind these days and uh, yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are open and you can also hit me up by email at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help us out and uh, we will be back after the new year and you guys all be uh, safe and healthy and have a good one.